Good morning, everybody. And happy Easter to all of you. And I just want to say very uh, quickly and right away, congratulations to the Bluson family again. Although we've congratulated you before, you weren't here. So, and the whole family's here. So, Pastor Matt, Jerrica, uh, Allie, and now Astrid. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you guys back. Um, you know what? There's something traditional that I want to try to do. Uh, and that's when I say, he is risen, you respond with he is risen indeed. Can we do that? Can we try? Okay, so everybody go, <clears throat> okay, clear your throat if you need to. Okay, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on, with all you've got, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, amen. Let's not get it wrong. This is what we are here for today. Um, how many love our kids? Aren't they just the cutest and the smartest and the most talented and honest uh, to say, you know, I, I still don't know. Hey, God bless you, man. I say that half the time to people who ask me um, questions. So um, welcome. For those of you who are first-time guests, a very special welcome to you. So glad you chose to worship with us. There are a bunch of great churches you could have worshiped with today. Uh, we're so glad that you chose us. Um, and I hope and pray that we can serve you in some way. But we look forward to hanging out with you. After this, I'm going to give you a quick message uh, just to kind of continue our series. Uh, the first Sunday in April, we began our Easter series called Greater Love. Um, and so it was a real, real treat for me. Uh, back in February, a couple of months ago, I was able to uh, visit Israel. Uh, the country, and then, of course, the ancient city of Jerusalem. Um, that was a real treat, and it just so happened that that was just as we were coming up uh, on Easter. And so while there, I tell people that, you know, while I can read the Bible and we teach the Bible here, I was able to walk the Bible. And so this story of Jesus and his death and his resurrection has really come to life for me just because of that one trip. So we began... Um, our uh, series with week one uh, with the triumphal entry. So, um, but we'll get some pictures up of, of Jerusalem. Uh, I was able to go there, but we started with Palm Sunday. Uh, and that was where Jesus was at the Mount of Olives uh, overlooking the Kidron Valley. It was the last hill before he approaches the city of Jerusalem. If you remember the story, he said he uh, sent two disciples to go and to get a donkey for him to ride in on. As he rode in, um, they call it the triumphal entry because Jesus was popular at the time and they started to accept him that this is going to be our king, the king of the Jews, only they had it wrong. They said, we want you to be our king. They were screaming Hosanna. They were laying palm branches down, their cloaks, something they did for Old Test a, few, a couple of Old Testament kings. And as Jesus was entering, although they had the wording right, they had the idea wrong. Because Jesus came not to save them from what they were hoping. They were hoping he was a, a political king, a political messiah. They were hoping he was a, a military uh, general type of leader that would come and deliver them from the Roman rule. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. Jesus came to deliver us from something much deeper. It's called sin. Uh, and then we went into week two, the second week of April. Um, we talked about... Uh, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Jesus was betrayed several times. All the people who were screaming Hosanna and King, welcome, enter, were now saying, we want Jesus to be 
crucified. And then his disciples, who were very close to him, decided that they're going to leave too. They flee. They're nowhere to be found. Um, Everybody that Jesus knew had left him. He was by himself. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, um, you might remember, uh, let's call it the most famous kiss in the world. It wasn't a romantic kiss. It was a friendly kiss. But it was a kiss of betrayal where one of his own disciples, one of his inner circle, it was a clear indication of who the authorities were to arrest, the one that he kissed. So he kissed Jesus, he betrayed him, uh, and then, of course, they arrested him. We talked about uh, the garden, that there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now I want to show you a couple more pics of my trip uh, to Israel. Um, and so one is going to be the actual path that Jesus took on his way uh, to, the cru- uh, to his crucifixion. So this is called Via de la Rosa. Uh, and it, it translated to mean the, sorrow, the sorrowful path. The sad pathway. And so <clears throat> as we were walking, I couldn't help but to kind of relive the words of the Bible. And in my mind, I'm thinking, where did Jesus fall? Where did they try to give him a drink? Where were they when the guys, when they told him Jesus was so tired, they had two other guys help him carry that log that would eventually become the cross. And so there's one. If we can go to the next one. The Bible tells us that he was crucified outside of the city. Part of that was because of their religious customs. Uh, Anytime you deal with blood or things like that, it becomes unclean. Uh, And so they could not uh, crucify him on the inside of the ancient city, uh, which is a functioning functioning city. Um, Everyday life happens there. It's not a... It's a tourist attraction, but it doesn't operate as one. People live there. They do business there. um, Life happens there. But this was the actual gate that Jesus went out of. And not far from there, if we can show the next picture of Golgotha. Um, This is the uh, place of the skull. And this is where um, purportedly Jesus was crucified. The tomb of Jesus is not far from here. Um, Historically speaking, um, that would... uh, be accurate because it wasn't far from where he was crucified that he was buried uh, in a tomb. So let's see if I can point this out because you can get a little confused. I don't know if this is going to work. I got this flashlight. That there is the left eye. That there is the right eye. Can you guys see that? Left, right. And that is the nose. Forget that thing over there. That's not part of it. But that there is the place of the skull. Um, Right underneath it, what you cannot see are a bunch of tourist buses. So you can imagine all the people coming to visit these places because they're they're holy places. Um, The the great thing for us was that we were coming right after COVID. We were one of the first groups to go in after COVID. So we had these places all to ourselves, Where there would be hundreds of people, we were able to get in and have the places uh, to ourselves. But from here, Golgotha is where we pick up the story, and we continue, and we end the series, uh, Greater Love, um, right here. And I'm going to read out of Mark chapter 15, verse 33, and then we're going to jump into Matthew. Uh, And I'm going to go very quickly, so um, stay with me. In verse 33, it says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a brief moment, Jesus was showing a little bit of humanity and what you and I might go through if we were in his 
situation. Verse 35, and some of the bystanders, uh, bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that curtain, there was some symbolism there. It represented the Holy of Holies in which in the Old Testament, only the high priest can enter. Nobody else. The average person, a regular priest, could not go into the Holy of Holies. And it was only once a year that he could go. And the, the, the fact that that, um, that curtain was ripped signified that that separation is no longer there. Because of what Jesus did here, we now have access to him. Uh, verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Verse 39, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Would you pray with me just for a minute? Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, in this short time that we have together, Lord, as we come to celebrate what we know is victory, uh, Lord, help us to understand what was happening here at the moment. And Lord, let your word get in deep to our hearts, Father, and may it uh, penetrate us in such a way uh, that, uh, Lord, we would not walk out of here the same person. So, Lord, let your word do what it came to do, uh, Father, uh, to bring life, to convict us, to correct us, to, to encourage us. Whatever we need today, Lord, we know that you are. So, Lord, bless your word. Holy Spirit, help us understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this was the beginning of what we call Good Friday. Good Friday to us because we're on the other side. We see the victory. We see the benefit of it all. But when you talk about the people who were here, it wasn't a very good Friday. As a matter of fact, it was a very sad Friday. It was a very dark Friday. And so what we understand is Christianity, back then there was no Christianity because there was no Christ. He died. And so now you have people who are following him saying, what do we do now? The one who we thought was God is no longer here. He's not here to lead us. The miracles that, he was, that was done, they thought he'd, they'd be, he'd be there forever. And now he had just died on a cross. The man who performed miracles, the man who healed the sick, the man who broke chains of bondage, and now he was gone. It was dark, it was scary, it was sorrowful, and now all Jesus' followers were scattered. They were even hiding. And nobody even wanted to associate with Jesus. We began this message by saying everybody just disappeared. I can remember there's one time where uh, when I was living in Guam and me and my friends would, uh, would spearfish. I'm not the greatest spearfisherman. I'd let them do all the work and then when we'd come up, I'd take pictures with all the fish, you know. But I can remember being down deep one time, you know, and there was all these uh, small barracuda. And then out of nowhere, just this whole school of hundreds and maybe thousands of them just, they all left. And I was like, <laughs> like, why did they leave? And I feel like that's what happened to Jesus. One moment and everybody is gone. And he's all by himself. And I can remember being deep underwater. We'd go spearfishing at night with just a flashlight. That flashlight only goes so far. And my mind would start to think something's going to come out of that darkness right at me. It's scary. 
This is what they were in. Now, real quick, I'm going to give you three things in regards to the cross that I pray we would all understand and embrace. And then we're going to go past that because Easter is about resurrection. Let's not get it wrong. Okay, we have festivities uh, and, we, and we celebrate in different ways. And that's okay. Uh, God's okay with that. God uh, can redeem anything. Amen. And so, but let's, let's uh, make sure we got it right and that this today, this holiday, is about celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Amen. So first I want to talk to you about the need for the cross. Now this is very obvious to some. For others, this may be the very first time you hear something like this. But we need the cross because of something called sin. Because of the presence of sin, it's the very thing that keeps us separated from God. I can remember growing up thinking a lot of things. Not once did, every, uh, did anyone ever tell me that it was my sin that kept me separated. If I could just take care of the sin, I was okay. It's our biggest problem. It's mankind's biggest problem. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing you can do to make God think different of you, good or bad. He loves you that much. But because of the presence of sin, we need a savior. If we can't address sin, then we're hopeless. And we're destined for eternity apart from God. And sin, if you haven't noticed, is running rampant. And if you haven't noticed, sin is something we are very, very good at. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You don't have, a, have to teach a, a baby how to steal. You ever see those videos? They're so cute. Kids are, the Bible says all things are pure to the innocent. And so they walk up with icing all over their face. They say, did you eat the cake? No. We start young, don't we? The other thing is that we enjoy sin. And you guys have heard me say it before. And if you say that you don't enjoy sin, then you're not doing it right. Because sin can be very enjoyable. And it's the very thing that kills us. It creates spiritual death. And eventually, we know that we all physically die. And so we enjoy sin, but the the Sin brings death, the Bible says. And I don't know if you realize it, but that's a big problem. And continuing in verse 24, it says, And you are justified by grace as a gift. By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Through what Jesus did on the cross and on the cross alone. Because of what he did, we can now have favor with God. We can now have right standing with God, where all of us have nothing to stand on because of what Jesus did on the cross. And only that can make us right with God. But it says here that it's a gift. We could have a gift for every person who walks out this door. I don't want to mislead you because we don't, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying, this is an example. Okay, we got some refreshments. You guys can have some of that. But we can offer you a gift, every one of you on the way out, and you guys don't have to accept that gift. We real, you realize that? And I don't understand why Jesus would offer something so valuable and yet some people won't accept. And so that's what this is about. 
Through Jesus' blood, we can be placed in right standing. We can receive God's favor. This was accomplished by the cross. On the cross, the cross breaks the curse of sin. The cross pays the cost of sin. And the cross provides the cure for sin. We need the cross. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the response to the cross. Now, really quick, I've edited my message, so if I fumble a little bit, just bear with me. Um, but on some of the verses, if you go through the rest of this chapter in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 27, there were some soldiers. They took some of Jesus' belongings. Uh, they were casting lots, and they were telling him, uh, you know, oh, king of the Jews, they made a crown of thorns for him to mock him. Here's your crown, oh, king. And so they were mocking him. There are people in this world who mock Jesus, and there's nothing you can do. That's the way they're going to be. Anybody here ever been mocked for your faith? I have. I have. They're the mockers. They don't care about Jesus. And then there were some priests. There were some scribes, and there were some elders. And they also mocked him, but it was a little bit of a different kind of a mocking if you were to read the scripture, there's a word that says reviled. They reviled him. That word reviled means they criticized. So it wasn't just that they were mocking. They were criticizing him, saying, you said you were somebody. So it's like they kind of believed in who Jesus was. And they're like, but man, you let us down, Jesus. You know, is Elijah going to show up? It's almost like they still had a little bit of faith. But come on, Jesus. It's like your favorite fighter who's losing. Come on, man, throw some more punches right in the they reviled him. They criticized him. They were religious, but they were the people who need proof of something. There are people who come to church, and they kind of believe, but they say, you know, you got to show me first. I want to see something happen first. Faith doesn't work that way, just let me tell you. And then, uh, if you were to read in verse 46, there were some, when Jesus said, uh, the Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, that, that thing. When he said that, some bystanders, they heard it and they said, oh, he's calling on Elijah. Everybody, stay tuned. Let's see what's going to happen. Let's see. And that re represents people who were experience seekers. They want to experience God. They're there for the show. But what happens when the show's gone? What happens when the worship team goes home? What happens when the Bible is shut and now you're all by yourself? They were always running after the manifestation of God, but they were shallow in their truth, shallow in their foundations. When the show's over, they struggle. And then a few scriptures later, when the centurion and those were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, there was an earthquake. And what took place? They were filled with awe. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Right answer. They saw what happened. The earth shook. And they said, wow, that was Jesus. And there are people who have the right response to God. I believe he is who he says he is but doesn't cause them to move. There's still no action. Although they acknowledge him with 
their lips. There's no movement after that. Now, if you don't, uh, maybe don't realize it yet, all of us fall into one of those categories. But there's one more category that I want to share with you. Um, and they are the followers of Christ. There's a rich man uh, named Joseph of Arimathea. Um, and the Bible says that he was a disciple of Jesus. Now remember, everybody else had left. By this time, Jesus had died. Peter didn't even want to be associated with him. One of the little girls that on the front row could have went up to Peter and said, you were with Jesus. And Peter was like, no. Uh-uh. I don't even know who he is. Stop. That's how wimpy Peter was at the time. And so the fact that Joseph of Arimathea, he was the one responsible to see Jesus buried. He went to Pilate and said, is Jesus dead? If he is, may I have the body? The fact that he did that associated him with Jesus. That alone was a risk. I know some Christians, and I'm not saying here, maybe, I'm just saying, maybe you know some also, but none here, none here, who will not associate with Jesus in their workplace, will not associate with Jesus in their, with their family. How many know what I'm talking about? So there's some sacrifice that takes place as a follower. There's some identification that takes place as a follower. These are followers. Boldness. It takes boldness to associate with Jesus and to ask for his body. Um, and by tending to the body, it meant, that they, it meant that they took action and they identified with who Jesus was. The Bible also says Mary and the other Mary, the Bible says, did the same when they, they bought spices and they went to bury him and prepare him. Prepare his body. And they went. You know why they bought spices? Because they were expecting him to be dead. They thought that was it. And so they were the followers. But there's a cost to be a follower. And then finally, I want to talk to you about the power of the cross. And I want to kind of hang here for just a minute. Um, because there's a prerequisite to the power of the cross. You see, of all those people, we talked about their responses. Only one group of people would see the power of the cross. And those are the ones who are followers of him. And so a lot of us here are believing for a miracle. A lot of us here are believing for something financial. A lot of us here are believing for maybe something, a miraculous healing in our body. God can do that. I promise you. We've seen it. We know it. We know people that doctors can't explain. So some of us are believing there. Some of, believe, uh, uh, some of us are believing for uh, miracles in, in our relationships. Maybe there's a parent or a, or a son or a daughter and things aren't good. And there's a rift. And we're asking God, can you, can you help us there? But there's a preparation that takes place. I think there's some symbolism in the fact that the ones who followed were preparing Jesus' body. They had no idea that they were preparing for something powerful to happen. Because of what they did, they created this, this picture of what God's plan was to do for us, to save us, humankind, 
from what would be our own destruction because we love our sin and we're good at it. Uh, I'll paraphrase this. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, um, Paul spends the first half of, of this chapter. He's talking about all the, the things that we get through the cross and all the benefits we get for following Jesus. I don't know if you've ever joined like a fitness club or a car club or, or a vacation club or just whatever. They give you a handbook. And that handbook tells you everything that you uh, have that is included in whatever you have paid for and whatever it is that you've received. I don't know about you. I don't read those things all the time. But when it comes to verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit delivers these benefits that we get by bearing the name of Christ, by being followers of Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit has given us a pledge of our inheritance. Has given us a pledge. That word pledge, if you were to uh, translate it, it means a deposit. It means a down payment. Uh, it also means a guarantee. And so the Holy Spirit gives us a peace now. If I can interpret that, here's what it means. God wants you to not have to wait to get to heaven to experience it. He says, I've given you a peace now, a guarantee now. The Holy Spirit brings power now. And we can have it. And that's the power of the cross. This whole story that we talk about with Easter and what Jesus went through, it all symbolizes God's intention to be a blessing to you, but there's prerequisites. As we're believing for the, for the healing, as we're believing for the financial breakthrough, as we're believing for the, for the uh, reconciled relationships, as we're believing, whatever it is you're believing for, my question is, what are you doing to prepare for it? What are you doing to prepare for the release of that power? God has made a heavenly deposit into your earthly account. The problem is we don't read the fine print. We don't realize what we have. We aren't aware of everything that's included in the benefits. The power of the cross is one of them. The cross is the demonstration of God's power. But then there was something called the resurrection. And the resurrection is proof of what was already the power. Do you realize that? It was just a continuation and so Jesus goes to the cross. There's a release of power. He's resurrected and he shows himself to thousands once again. It's just a continuation of what happened on the cross. And in the same way, God has called us to go to the cross and to meet him there. For some of us, the Bible tells us we carry our own cross. But I'm telling you, the power of God is there. And then on the, on the other side, there's, there's resurrection power. After we experience the power of God, we're called to walk in it after that. It's not, a, it's not a one brief kind of moment. The show where everything happened, where the earth shook and cracked and 
Wow. And God said, no, 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 no. There's more to the story than that. Not only did Jesus resurrect and walk in that power, you have the benefit of doing the same. If we go to the cross, receive the power that it brings, and then we walk in the same victory of the resurrection power that we're celebrating today. Now, I know I've got to end this message somehow. <laughs> Let's do this. Um, if I can have the worship team come up. Uh, in a minute, we're going to take communion. But before we do, um, we mentioned in the beginning that, de- that Jesus' death on the cross was only the beginning of the story. There's more to it. It's called the resurrection. Now, as the worship team comes, I want to show you this real quick video um, of another experience that I had while I was in Jerusalem. Enjoy this, and then we'll worship together. Wow. The tomb of Jesus. Fantastic. So let me take you now to the place where you're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That was the tomb of Jesus. Uh, As I was in the tomb of Jesus, I couldn't help but to relive the words of the Bible. Let me read it to you as they continue to set up. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus. He was crucified, but he is not here for he is risen. He is not here for he is risen. Just as he said, Some of us need to learn to take Jesus at his word, including me. He says, go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. I pray that you too will relive this moment of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. The Bible tells us that the tomb was sealed. It was on purpose. The authority said, they're going to make liars out of us. Go seal that tomb so they don't make this look like we're, make us look so bad. And they did that. And as they came back to the body, it was already open. Jesus had risen. Be blessed as you receive the communion elements. And then be blessed as we worship uh, with this special number.